We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. They're going to kill the love of my life. Yay! If I don't go back to what I was doing this Friday, our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me, then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course, it's dangerous. Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain for love. Collide in theaters Friday. Rated PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code ROTOHOOPS when you deposit for a free contest entry today. It is Wednesday, November 25th, 2015. Normally I'd be joined by Josh Hayes, but... uh, Not today! Not today! (laughs) Uh, Nick Whalen is back, baby! I Um, am. Yeah, happy to have you, man. Happy to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, like you said, Josh Hayes, usually on the... The Wednesday NBA podcast does a lot of media things for us. He does 120 sports. He guest, guest appears on many podcasts. But congratulations to him. His wife just had a baby this morning. Uh, so obviously that came before the podcast, and rightfully so. So congratulations to Josh on the birth of his daughter. Do we have a name on this baby, DJ? We just saw a picture, counted the toes, counted the fingers, looks good to go. Yep. Um, but what's funny is that I totally called this last week because Charlie Villanueva, um, you know, uh, 
uh, skipped out of town to attend the birth of his second child. And I said, Josh, you aren't going to do that to me, are you? You aren't just going to skip out like the morning before, the night before. And it totally happened. I was completely joking. Um, but yeah, so that, that was kind of a funny thing. But glad you're here, Nick. Just a, a solid replacement. I don't know if you can live up to Josh's shoes. No, but. no, certainly not. But, you know, I mean, I think I'm a, at least replacement value. Uh, type of host we apologize if there's any audio issues we're doing this over skype you know usually we'd be recording this uh in the studio at roto hq but dj you're in menominee wisconsin is that right not quite I'm oh you're not yet i'm still in i'm still in still in madison wisconsin right now i will be heading off to menominee pretty much right after we we were done with this so okay. if it's a short one then that's probably why yeah yeah absolutely and i'll be i'll be doing the same heading back to green Bay. so um, I mean, what do you want to start with? Do you want to get into the games from last night, or do you want to talk about some of this other stuff we have planned? No, I got I got a little random tidbits here. But first, of course, you can reach Nick and I on on Twitter. You can find Nick uh, Waylon W H A the number one E N, and you can find myself Trainer DJ at Trainer DJ. Important um, housekeeping note: There's no shows for the rest of the week because of Thanksgiving. So Monday will be the next recording, and I'm assumed, I assume Josh Hayes. We'll be back with Benny Ricciardi. This podcast, of course, is available on iTunes and Stitcher. Feel free to leave a nice review on those venues. You can, of course, listen and download this podcast directly on the RotoWire website, along with a, a lot of our other great podcasts. Nick, I know you're part of a lot of the other ones. But let's focus on some NBA basketball. Tonight is Drake night in Toronto, y'all. So excited. Uh, did you see that they have a hot bling, or hotline bling simulator, Nick? for tonight for the fans going to the game yeah yeah i did i saw it on twitter this morning i, I agree with you this is a really cool uh little tweak for drake night i think this is is this year th- year two or year three it might be year three already uh of these drake nights in toronto a pretty cool promotion they're gonna be wearing their special uh metallic gold edition of those new uniforms that's gonna be a lot of fun free shirts with the nice little ovo owl on them um but yeah the hotline bling simulator I mean, if you haven't seen the video uh the actual hotline bling video by now I'm not sure how that's possible, but uh, basically the video takes place in kind of a a box. You know, it's it's a it's a music video, so obviously a, it's a green screen type of situation. But the Hawks or the Hawks, the Raptors have basically built a replica of what the what this box. You know, it has different colored lights kind of flashing as you're as as Drake is dancing. And so what they're basically going to allow fans to do is hop in there and and make their own little short version uh, of a Hotline Bling music video. Uh, and I think you can pretty much do whatever dance moves you want. Um, Drake pretty much invented an entire new repertoire of dance moves in that video. So I think it's going to yeah, be cool. I think it's, uh, it's something that a lot of, if you're not a Drake fan, you'll probably think it's pretty corny. But if you are a Drake fan like me, I think this would be cool. And I'm kind of jealous that I don't get to do it. Yeah, we, I think we've seen the Raptors have been releasing some of their like front office staff trying to dance around. It's been incredibly awkward, um, the dance moves that have come out of that. But the actual thing that's set up, it's just an illuminescent box, basically. And it's awesome. Drake is one of those rappers that, you know, everyone like loves to make fun of him for being basically a jersey chaser, but his music is just it is good. I mean they Well yeah, I mean he's every single NBA arena pretty much. Right. He's to that point where it's like, yeah, you can make fun of him all you want, but he's still probably making the most popular music, making the most money. And LeBron in a lot of ways, you know, kinda on the opposite spectrum of that though. You know, he's a he's a guy who's you know, LeBron kinda he has your respect, but people are still quick to bash him. Drake, I think, is somewhat similar in that way, but he isn't as maybe as brash as LeBron is. You know, he does things that are a little more 
petty, I think, to some people. You know, sure. the, all the Kentucky stuff and going into locker rooms and being a little bit of a fanboy. But, hey, I mean, cool promotion for the Raptors. Uh, I'm assuming his popularity is probably higher in Toronto than just about anywhere else. So uh, definitely a way to get some fans in the seats right before Thanksgiving and should be a lot of fun. All right, last thing before we jump into the box scores. And at the end of this, Nick, uh, because you put me on the spot yesterday with yeah, some trivia. Yeah, I see you have some got... trivia. Are you trying to like, get me back on these? No, these are just going to be fun, lighthearted. I'm I promise gonna, I won't like... look them up. All right, yeah, don't look them up. I know you've got the I've got the answers on a completely separate document. Um, they're they're, they're going to be kind secret. of fun, and they aren't as hard as last week's question. Thank sure. you very much, um, John Stockton. Um, anyways, last night, Mason Plumley and Jimmy Butler got into it, which is kind of an odd pairing. Um, if you didn't see it, Mason Plumley basically just ran through Jimmy Butler's screen. And then as Mason was running by Jimmy Butler, he just tripped Mason Plumley and F- Plumley fell to the ground after the game. Butler was talking to media reporters and he said, he cost me $2,500. Uh, I'm not happy about that. I'm going to ask him to pay me back. I'm not even playing. What do you think about that? Obviously, Mason Plumley's not going to pay the 2500 bucks, Nick. It, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't this guy just sign a $95 million contract and he's he's literally tripping over $2,500? I, I think. Nice pun, and yeah. you're not you're not you're not incorrect there. Right, and yeah, you know, I think um, I think he's probably joking, and he says he, he says he's playing or not playing or whatever. But I hope he's not for the sake of let's see what happens here. It's, are we going to have a uh, <laughs> Gilbert Arenas, Javaris Crittenden situation here? Uh, obviously, they're not in the same locker room, but. Uh, hopefully not, uh, but yeah, I mean a nice, a nice little wrinkle to what was a, you know, a, a pretty predictable result. I think the Bulls beating the Trailblazers in this one, but uh, you know, I guess if you score twenty-two points and your team wins, you get to say whatever you want after the game. Pretty much, uh, Butler did go on to kind of joke about it. He, the reporters just kind of egged him on and said, "How are we going to go about doing that?" And Butler said, "I'm going to ask nicely at first, but." You know, I'll, I'll have my email or I'll have my agent email him or something and then joke that his email is probably Mr. Dookie at Yahoo.com or something like that, <laughs> which is pretty funny, alluding to the fact that Plumley went to Duke. But Mr. Dookie at Yahoo.com, somebody has that now, and that's probably a, a good email address. It's worth a couple thousand dollars, probably worth $2,500 itself now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the rights to that email are, are whoever whoever owns that now is – actively looking to sell high um (laughs) do you want to get into the games let's do it indiana pacers take on the washington wizards and win 121 to 106 main story here is that paul george is better than we thought he used to be um basically put it up 40 points eight rebounds four assists two steals cj miles comes in with a sneaky 32 points as he as he starts yan mihimi seven points monte ellis 10 points George Hill, 14 points. Paul George, an MVP candidate, Nick? Yeah, I, I think technically, yeah. I think he's still a ways behind Curry, who's probably a ways ahead of just about everyone else. I think LeBron's probably in that conversation right now. But, yeah, I think Paul George, is, he has to be top five right now. And I think he's even, – even if he were to, to sit out the rest of the season, he's got to be a lock for comeback player of the year. I mean, geez, he's, like you said, he looks better than he did when he was healthy two years ago. Uh, taking and making a ton of tough shots, still living in the mid-range quite a bit. In this game, it was mostly three-pointers. And the big story for me is he and C.J. Miles combined to go 15 of 17 from beyond the arc. So seven of eight for Paul George and eight of nine for Miles as the Pacers knocked down 19 threes. 
Washington played pretty well in this one. I mean, 46% shooting against a good Pacers defense. They had 13 threes of their own. Did have 21 turnovers. That was an issue. 27 assists on 38 baskets. I mean, basically what it came down to is they just got outshot. Yeah, most definitely. Indiana Pacers are 9-5 and five in the East, doing just fine without David West and Lance Stevenson and Roy Hibbert. Pretty interesting that they've got the, you know, C.J. Miles, Jan Mahimi, Monte Ellis seems to be working out nicely. Washington Wizards are now 6-5, and five, which is pretty disappointing. Basically, I thought you could flip-flop the Wizards and the Pacers schedule so far this season. Um, you're looking at John Wall, of course, is the first guy you're going to look at in the Wizards box score. 18 points and only 5 assists. Bradley Beal, 20 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists, and 2 steals. Is there really a way for John Wall to step up and kind of be that world beater? Is that just not in his game or he's just more of a facilitator and maybe he just needs better shooters around him for him to be more effective? I just don't see Wall step like stepping his game up. Like even if he did play harder, I just don't know if it's necessarily within himself to put the team on his back, so to speak. Yeah, I, don't know. I mean, I think he did that for most of last season. 18 points, 10 assists last year. His, his numbers are similar. Uh, the assists are down a bit. The, the shooting has been the issue for him. Still just a 30% shooter from three down to 42% from the field. I think that'll come up eventually. I think he's a legitimate number one option in this league. And I think he's, you know, that's, that's going to be kind of sussed out. The, the Wizards are, you know, like you said, just six and five. They've played two or three fewer games than a lot of teams. Um, you know, once that schedule opens up, I think they'll be just fine. The thing with him, though, like you said, if, if there's anything that separates him from being a, a tier one superstar, I think he's a tier two superstar right now. Uh, obviously, that's a subjective ranking, but I think it's that it's just he can't shoot. And, you know, 30 percent from three is passable. You know, it's not it's not Rondo-esque or anything like that where you just don't have to guard him. But if you really, really want to have the respect of defenders and draw them out to you and, and you know, in turn, open up more driving lanes when you're not shooting the three you've got to be up at around at least 35%. And, and right now when he's taking more than four threes a game and only hitting one or two, um, I think defenses don't really respect that. I think the the Wizards aren't really moving out in transition quite as much as they'd like. That's obviously where John Wall is at his best. So, you know, they just got Brad Beal back. This is only his second game back after missing a few with a shoulder injury. Um, I think they'll be fine going forward. The only thing is they just don't have that much depth. And even though they played well while Beal was out, you look down this bench and, you know, do you really want Drew Good, uh, Drew Gooden, excuse me, or, or Jared Dudley, you know, guys like that playing more than 18, 19 minutes a night? I don't know if you do. And, yeah, that's kind of one of the things they lost with Paul Pierce was that depth on the wing. And Otto Porter has played very well in his absence. But, you know, I, I think you're, you are asking quite a bit of John Wall. And I, I think you're not necessarily wrong. You know, I'm not, I'm not questioning you personally you can call DJ. me wrong that's fine. yeah well I think I think John Wall is a legitimate player and he's proven that he's a legitimate number one option in this league I don't, I don't think I don't think there's anything I'm, there's not like one you know one glaring thing I guess outside of the the ability to shoot the three I think that's holding him back yeah I think he's, he's off to a little bit of a slow start but at the same time I and mean, he's still averaging 17 and 8 with three rebounds Right, so Bradley Beal attempts 22 shots. Otherwise, you have uh, Otto Porter, Gortat, and Wall coming with 8, 10, and 9 shot attempts. I mean, I guess I guess what I'm looking for out of Wall is just for him to attempt more shots. I, I guess I just haven't seen that necessarily this right. season. Um, Gary Neal came in off the bench and had a pretty nice game. Uh, let's see, his exact, his exact stats here. 29 minutes, 23 points, 3 rebounds, and a steal. That's pretty much a mirage since this game was... 
Uh, so, you know, going into half, it was close, but at the end, it, it got out of hand. And so you can't think that Gary Neal is going to keep that up for e- even two or three more games longer. No, absolutely not. Do not trust Gary Neal under any circumstances whatsoever. Um, let's look at Boston and Atlanta. So Atlanta 121, Boston 97. The Celtics team uh, continues to be a little bit of an anomaly, and you can kind of say that about the Hawks too, but they get back on track. 25 points from Paul Millsap to go with nine rebounds and three assists. 16 for Teague, 15 for Corver and Cephalosha, 11 for Horford. So all five starters, plus Mike Scott and Lamar Patterson, got in double figures. These are the kind of performances we're used to seeing from the Hawks, at least last season. They go 12 of 24 from three, shoot 56%, 33 assists on 45 field goals, everybody getting into the act. Um, and you know, I think this is exactly the game they needed to rebound. Right. And one thing that I've always seemed to notice from the Hawks is you never have one guy just have like a flat out stunning performance. It's they usually all perform well together. So, you know, so you, like you said, Nick, there's seven guys that finish in double figures, but the highest scorer was 25 points with Paul Millsap. Obviously, that could have been a product of them taking off their starters. And so, you know, they didn't uh, stay on the court long enough. R.J. Hunter, the return home to Georgia. I saw a lot about that on Twitter for Boston, but there's a reason why we saw so much. It's because this game was was out of hand pretty much. This Boston team frustrates me on multiple levels, Nick, on a season-long level and on a DFS level. You know, we we talked about, and it's well-documented, the front court is a rotating, um, you know, a rotation. We never know who's going to play the most minutes. Really, they just all share the same amount of minutes. But it almost seems like the backcourt, too, when you have guys like Avery Bradley, Isaiah Thomas, uh, Jay Crowder, Evan Turner even, where they'll just take turns having good games, but they never never won't necessarily have multiple ga- good games in a row. I don't know. Are you noticing that out of them as well, like where there's never one guy that just stays hot? They just take turns. Yeah, yeah. I think the only guy you can really trust on a night-to-night basis is Isaiah Thomas, you know, a guy who has okay. kind of always been someone who makes sure to get his in some way, and you know that's kind of going against what happened last night. Only had 14 points and two assists, five turnovers. Just a tough game for him going up against uh, that combination of Schroeder and Teague. But, yeah, I mean, this, this Celtics team kind of reminds me of some of the past Milwaukee Bucks teams where you have a lot of quality players on the team, but are any of them, you know, really, really good players? I don't know. Uh, it's like Avery Bradley, Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Terry Rozier, Evan Turner. Those guys are all, you know, Rozier's probably a little bit lower than most of those guys. Maybe Marcus Definitely. Smart. Who did, Marcus Smart didn't play in this one. He's hurt right now. But all those guys are all pretty equal to me. And, you know, Thomas is probably the best scorer of the bunch. Evan Turner maybe the better all-around player, the better distributor, uh, and Smart the better defender. So they all have their own strengths. But none of them are really that great of an all-around player uh, that you can depend on them, especially in DFS, night to night. So I think they have that problem both in the front court and the back court. honestly. I mean... You look at David Lee, Jonas Derepko, Tyler Zeller, Kelly Olenek, Amir Johnson, Jared Sullinger. You know, those are six guys right there that are all, again, pretty similar to me in a lot of ways and, and not, in the, not in what they necessarily bring to the table individually. You know, they each have their own strengths, but none of them are, are just great all-around players. So the Celtics, I think, have a lot of pieces, but I just don't know how they all fit together because they have a lot of players that if you're playing NBA 2K and you were trying to make a trade, they would all be like two-and-a-half star players which is good. You want to have those guys, but they don't have any like four and a half or five star players. Yeah. So Nick, we know this team has a lot of draft picks, a lot of future draft picks to work with. Even if we were, even if the Celtics 
were willing to give up a lot of those draft picks to get a player now. Let's just say they think they can contend in the East, which they can't, but let's just theorize maybe this season or next season. Where would where should they even target? I don't even know. Like they already have five front court players. They have a bunch of backcourt players, maybe small forward. Well, I don't think they're a team that's in any position to like draft around who they have. Um, you know, if if they get yeah, you know, if they get the if they end up with that Nets pick and it's number one, they're taking Simmons no matter what. I, I think sure. they're, they're, they'll take the best available player. I don't think there's anyone on this team who they view in such a light that they would they would pass up on an elite elite prospect at the top of a draft uh to, to go over them and like i said they they do have a lot of nice pieces and that's that's not, there's nothing to take away from the celtics but I, I think they're none of these guys are good enough that you would ever you know ever really think about drafting around them a lot of them are coming off the books too that amir johnson deal is only two years david lee's deal is up after this year um so that they'll be able to clear out some space that, i don't think that's really the issue um, you know, they certainly like Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, Marcus Smart, guys like that. Uh, but if you had a chance, you know, at the top of a draft to grab a guy like Jamal Murray, I don't think they would shy away from him just because they have some other guards. Yeah, no, that's certainly agree. I certainly agree with you there. Avery Bradley is another guy who I guess, you know, I have in season long leagues, but uh, there has been three instances where he failed to score. He only scored um, two, four and six points. And that's hard, hard to rely on a guy like that. But moving on, Memphis Grizzlies beat the Dallas Mavericks 110 to 96. Mavericks are nine and six. Memphis Grizzlies are eight and seven. And I'm really focused on, like many people are, rather not, uh, Mario Chalmers. 14 points he puts up in this one, five steals. He had been performing really well at the line, but he only shot six from 10. How are you seeing his acclimation to Memphis? And now that we're a couple weeks into it, is he the reason why they've kind of turned around their season? Or is it more something where we just knew that they would catch on eventually? I can't, I can't believe this is an actually a, a legitimate question. Is Mario Chalmers the reason that the hey, Memphis since, Grizzlies have turned around their season? There, since no, no, you're right. They've been winning more. No, it's a legitimate question. I don't think, I don't think, Mario Chalmers is necessarily the reason, but he's been he's been certainly one of the major components. Um, yeah, I mean they're they're now five five out of six since he came over uh, from Miami in games that he's played in. The biggest thing for me is just the free throws. Like you said, he only went six for ten tonight. But Mario Chalmers is never a guy who had gotten to the line overly effectively, and he now has three games of at least ten free throws attempted. He was six <laughs> for six against the Rockets on Friday. Like just it's crazy, a, just a bizarre kind of showing for him for a guy who. Maybe we underestimated for his last few years. When you play alongside Wade and LeBron, you're going to be an ancillary piece no matter what. When LeBron was there, he was asked to just kind of be a drive-and-kick guy, a spot-and-shoot or a catch-and-shoot type of guy, and he played that that role adamantly, or adequately, I should say. Um, but, yeah, I think he's, he's kind of being unleashed a little bit in Memphis, and there's, they're allowing him to kind of run things a little bit more than he was ever allowed to do in Miami, and it's worked out so far. Like you said, the five steals are huge uh, from a fantasy perspective in this one, and you know Memphis is starting to put it together a little bit. They got off to a terrible start, but they're above 500 now. They're eight and seven. Still not a team that you ever really want to run into when you have anything on the line because they can be so good defensively. Yeah, that's that's certainly the case. Bizarre situation with Zach Randolph last night. You know, it first came out that he was going to start, and then he said he wasn't going to start. Um, that but he was still active. He ends up not playing at all, spending the whole game on the bench. He was still active. We saw Matt Barnes step into the starting lineup. Thirty-eight minutes from him, fourteen points, seven rebounds, three assists, two steals. From a fantasy perspective, like that is that's gold. And he does this about every season. He does. He goes on like a half a month spurt 
where he's like one of the best fantasy guys out there, one of the best DFS picks, one of the best well-rounded picks. I, I don't know if I can you, you can really expect him to keep it going much longer. Um, I mean, does he even stay in the starting lineup with uh, Jeff Green in there as well? No, no, not when, you know, I, I don't think when, when Randolph comes back, I think Matt Barnes shifts to the bench. And, you know, that's not really a coincidence that he's been playing huge minutes with Randolph limited 38 minutes last night, 31 minutes on Saturday, 34 on Friday. You look at his three previous games before that, he had only combined for 43 minutes over those games. So I think this can be fool's gold in, in somewhat of a respect. You know, he, he might bait some people into taking him uh, on DraftKings for a night or two, but I, I think he'll regress back quite a bit, you know, once Randolph's back in the mix. Anything you want to say about your boy Zaza Pachulia? I know you had a nice text. Uh, was it yesterday saying there were five guys that you'll defend to the death and Zaza oh, right. was one of those guys? Yeah, I tweeted that out actually. It was uh, just kind of a list I had been thinking about for whatever reason. I don't, I don't remember what sparked it exactly, but yeah, I mean, everybody has those players that you irrationally love no matter what they do. And I don't even remember who was on my list. It was Pachulia was definitely one of them. PJ Harrison, Will, I think. Will Barton. Will Barton. No, that's what it was. Will Barton. I was watching a little bit of that Nuggets game, and I thought, you know what? I love Will Barton, and he was <laughs> terrible last night. I had two people tweet at me like, "What's up with him?" And like, I don't have any inside info. I don't know. I just love him. Uh, he just he kind of plays like Will Barton just plays like half street ball at the small forward position, which I love. Uh, I think there needs to be more of that in the NBA. Um, but yeah, Pachulia, I think. He was a guy that I never respected at all until he came to Milwaukee and I was able to watch him on a nightly basis. And, you know, look at him in this game, 13 points, 10 rebounds, three assists, uh, no blocks, not, not really a big rim protector, but, you know, he gets the job done, nine for 10 at the line, uh, just an overall underrated player. So somebody that, that I really grew to love in Milwaukee and, and he's been added to the list. Yeah, sure. We might as well jump ahead over to that Clipper Nuggets game. Clippers win 111 to 94. They're now seven and seven, whereas the Nuggets, the Nuggets are six and nine. Will Barton coming off the bench. He had previously been starting for a little bit, but now you've got the combo of Emmanuel Moutier, who no longer leads the league in turnovers, and Gary Harris. Pretty much a young project team. We, when we think of young, sexy teams, we think of kind of the Bucks. We think of the Timberwolves. We don't necessarily think of these Denver Nuggets, but I think they're already somewhat exceeding expectations with a six to nine record in the Western Conference. Uh, yeah, I, I think they're you know probably right about where they you know if you if you talk to realistic people in the organization, this is probably right around where they maybe thought they could be. Certainly, they could be worse. That's for sure. Um, but they, you know, they're a team that I think you look to kind of like Portland, you know, maybe off to a little bit better start than you thought. And then things are going to start regressing, uh, back as some of these teams in the West that have underperformed, uh, maybe start to figure it out a little bit, but yeah, I mean, considering the injuries to Denver, I mean, no Kenneth Fareed in this one, they're still without Joseph Nurkic. So, you know, arguably their two best front court options. And when you're starting a point guard, like Emmanuel Moudier, who has shown a lot of promise, but is turnover prone, uh, pretty inexperienced. He actually got into it with coach Mike Malone on the bench. I don't know if you saw the video of that. I did see that. What, what was that? It was during a timeout. I just saw the vine come across on Twitter and you know, was, uh, Malone looked to be drawn something up and, you know, Moody yelled back at him and Malone, they kind of went back and forth for five or six seconds. And, you know, it wasn't anything way over the top, but I think there were mixed reviews. You know, some people on Twitter were, were commenting, this doesn't look good. You know, it's trouble brewing already, but other people it's like, he's a rookie and he cares, you know, they're down big and he's not happy with what's going on. And, Obviously, you, you want to do it maybe a little more respectfully than yelling at your coach on the bench, but 
there's something to be said for having that kind of fire, you know, this early in your rookie season. So I'm not too worried about that situation necessarily. But yeah, the Nuggets aren't going anywhere this year. Uh, they, they have a couple pieces that I think they like quite a bit. Moutier being one of them. Gallinari, I think they're still invested in. He's still young enough. Um, and he actually had a nice game in this one real quickly. 20 points, 18 rebounds, 16 of oh, 17 yeah. at the line. Um, so being aggressive, I, I guess, if nothing else. But yeah, this isn't their year. And I think they know that. So Moutier played 24 minutes, which tied with two other performances, his lowest uh, minute total of the season. Maybe that argument had something to do with it. But still, if you're a rookie and your lowest um, minute total is 24 minutes, you're obviously a major part of whatever team you may be on. Looking at these Clippers, though, we saw Wesley Johnson move into the starting lineup. And what happened is all five starters ended up scoring in double digits. Lots of options here, Nick, to put at that small forward spot. You have Lance Stevenson, you have Paul Pierce, Josh Smith, even Luke Richard and Baamute is is you know the farthest outside option, Jamal Crawford. But where do you stand on the Wesley Johnson debate? Because I know it's been hotly debated over the last twenty four hours or so. A lot of people didn't like it, but Doc Rivers was pretty open about him being the starter coming into the season. He must have changed his mind at the last second, and now he's going back to what we all thought was going to be the starting five. Yeah, they've had a few injuries. Chris Paul, J.J. Redick, uh, namely, you know, they've, they've kind of messed up their rotations a little bit. Paul Pierce off to a really slow start. I don't know. I don't know if there really is a true answer. Uh, you know, you look at a guy like you know Stevenson, Pierce, and Smith, for example. I mean, each of those guys bring such different dynamics to the table, and yeah, you, know, you don't really look at them. I think Pierce is probably the best fit on paper, uh, just because he doesn't need to have his the ball in his hands as much as those other two guys do. And you know, you're playing with Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan, guys who you know, are used to, see, to to seeing huge roles in that offense. But we, we talked about, I think, on the last podcast, about how, how much better this Clippers bench should be. But at the same time, they have a lot of nice pieces that don't necessarily seem to fit together. And I think that's kind of part of the reason that they've, they've waffled on who to start alongside uh, Paul Reddick, Jordan, and Griffin. Right. And so Josh Smith, Lance Stevenson, they need the ball in their hands to be effective. So it makes sense for me for them to come off the bench. I'm okay with Wesley Johnson in the starting lineup. You don't need to have all five guys um, be potent scorers. And so you've got Griffin, you've got Paul, you've got Redick. Uh, you know what? That that works for me. Did you see the alley-oop three-pointer from Griffin last night? I did. I did. That was very impressive. Uh, first made three of the season for him, isn't it? I could uh, be I wrong. Th I think it is. Uh, I think it might have been his second. Okay. I'll take a look at it. But, yeah, that was – I mean – and that was interesting. Then Jamal Crawford, of course, had that half-court um, shot at the buzzer. But otherwise, I don't know. Nuggets games are just overwhelmingly boring for me. I don't I don't know why. I, the other day, or I guess it was yesterday, you said that you like watching the Hornets, and that was a surprise to me. Do you like watching the Nuggets at all, even though they have, you know, some young guys? I like watching Moody. I mean, if I'm watching the Nuggets, it's going to be just to kind of keep an eye on what he's doing. There's really no one else other than Will Barton on this team who really intrigues me. Um, so no, I mean, they're, they're not quite as fun as they, they were to watch maybe two or three years ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, I think they kind of still have that reputation as being the run and gun, you know, we can, we can beat everybody. We'll just outscore you type of nuggets, but George Carl's not there anymore. The personnel that were kind of running that system aren't quite there anymore either. So I think we maybe need to adjust to, to what's the new MO of the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, fair enough. So that was Blake Griffin's third three-pointer on third. the season, okay. by the way. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, one of those things that just like people like to throw out there because it was so cool. Oh, it was his first three this season? No, it wasn't. Um, Chicago-Portland, maybe the most uh, competitive game of the night. We briefly touched on it. Chicago ended up winning that game 93-88. to 88. 
They go to nine and four in the East. The Trailblazers are six and ten, which is actually a little bit surprising for me. I didn't think they'd quite be this good. Backcourt show for the Trailblazers, like we've seen throughout the season: nineteen points for Lillard, eighteen for McCollum. That front court with Mason Plumley. 11 points, 17 rebounds, two blocks for Plumlee. We did have a discussion about those three guys, or Aminu, Plumlee, and um, and Myers Leonard yesterday. Uh, I'm still overwhelmingly surprised with Mr. Doughboy, Plumlee's production. Seems like he can get a double-double every time he takes the court. Um, yeah, I, I think if he gets the right amount of minutes, yeah. I, I, in this type of offense where it's, it's so guard-based, you know, the rebounds... Uh, maybe come a little bit easier than they than they would in certain situations. But if he's playing 35 minutes and you know he's a, Mason Plumlee is certainly a capable player, uh, I don't think double doubles are, are out of the question by any means. But yeah, 17 rebounds in this one, five offensive rebounds, uh, big game from him. Pretty decent output from Damian Lillard, even though he was four of 22 uh, from the field. A Kobe Bryant esque four of 22. Still finished with 19, 10, and eight though. So a near triple double. Uh, CJ McCollum. He continues to put up numbers, struggled from the field as well. He was 7 of 17, but at 18 points. This Portland team is is still fun to watch, even without LaMarcus Aldridge, but they're so, so reliant on that backcourt tandem that it can be, if you run into a team like Chicago that's well-prepared and has good perimeter defenders, especially a guy, you know, guys like Tony Snell and Jimmy Butler, who know what they're doing on those two guys, they run into trouble very quickly. Yeah, most definitely. Plumlee, that was his third straight double-double. Not sure, like you said, Nick, that he can sustain that, but... Um, you know, maybe a, a budding talent that I I kind of wrote off a couple of seasons ago or last season when he was in Brooklyn, but he's he's come along nicely for sure. This Bulls team starts Rose, Butler, Snell, Miritich, and Gasol. Five points from Snell, which is not all that surprising. Derek Rose, he's coming off a two-game absence, 17 points, four rebounds, six assists. Jimmy Butler, 22 points. Anything you want to talk about the Bulls here? Pretty typical box score from from my first look at it here. Yeah, nothing really jumps out. I mean, Jimmy Butler led in scoring. Derek Rose, he comes back, 17 points, six assists, four rebounds for him. A, a decent showing, seven of 20 from the field. Uh, of course, not exactly what they're looking for with him, but you know, Derek Rose, as much as you know, maybe the public has decried him for shooting too much and taking shots he shouldn't be taking. He has he hasn't really seemed to be affected by that. Pal Gasol, a nice game, twelve and fourteen. Joe Kim Noah continues to be pretty much a non factor as far as fantasy goes off the bench. Did have seven points and six rebounds, two blocks, but just fallen so, so far from the Joe Kim Noah we knew two or three years ago. Yeah, most definitely. All right, moving forward to the last game of the night. Arguably, it was the most watched game of the night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, before we do that, though, Nick, um, if you want to check out the content on Rotowire, feel free to do so with a free 10-day trial. Just go to rotowire.com forward slash pod, and you can certainly do that. So looking at that last game of the night, we knew it was going to be a blowout. It was a blowout. The Warriors beat the Lakers 111 to 77, but there were still a lot of eyes on that game as the Warriors become the best team to start out the season, basically, is, is what it comes down to. 16-0, and um, beating that, was it like the 93 Rockets with Kenny the Jet? This, Kenny Jet um, was on that team. Pretty typical stuff here. Steph Curry goes for 24 points, four rebounds, nine assists. He only played nine minutes. We saw just the downfall of Kobe. And I think the even maybe more so than the record for the Warriors, it turned into a big Kobe discussion on 
how sad it's how sad it is to see him go out like this. There's never happy endings in sports is what I ch- tweeted out the other night. Four points, one of 14, one of 14. It's unbelievable, Nick. It really is. And I guess we'll start with the with the game itself. I mean, this went exactly as expected. It was 30 to 11 yeah. at the end of the first quarter. The Warriors uh, got a three-pointer in their first possession, and we just kind of knew where this was going. And you know, as well as Golden State played, they they really did, they really weren't on their A game. I mean, Clay Thompson three of twelve from the field. Steph Curry four of twelve from three. I mean, this 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 somehow could have been like considerably considerably worse. The Warriors missed right. a ton of open shots in this game, and then still were able to win by thirty four points. But yeah, I mean, even more than this, even more than the Warriors winning and, and setting that record. And you were correct; it was the ninety three ninety four Rockets who previously held the record for the best start in NBA history. But the bigger storyline was Kobe. I mean. Oh yeah, there there's falling off at the end of your career, and then there's what Kobe's doing. I mean, this is this is unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, I was t- I was watching this game. Well, first of all, I was I was at the at Wando's in downtown Madison last night trying to watch this game, and they, they didn't even have it on. They were playing uh, the UCLA Kansas game, and oh, I think by the gross. time I got there, UCLA was down by almost thirty. So I had to go out of my way to ask the bartender guy, uh, whoever's in charge of the TV, to, to put that on and. I don't think I think I was probably the only person there who really cared about watching. I feel like this, you've but. done that. I feel like you have a lot of stories like that, Nick. Yeah, because I care about this stuff, and if I'm going somewhere that has all these TVs and the the game that I'm on that I want to watch is you know isn't on, I'm, I'm not I'm not ashamed to ask. I'm certainly okay. gonna I, I'm not just gonna miss out on a a clash like this. Um, but yeah, I mean the Kobe the Kobe thing is getting out of control. Honestly, like he's not even. It would be one thing if he was you know, struggling and, you know, was going like, you know, he'd go six of six of 15 one night and then he'd, then he'd go for 25 the next night. Like he's just, just terrible performance after terrible performance. One of 14 from the field, a couple of air balls, missing open shots, forcing bad shots. Um, and then on top of that, after the game, he, he has a quote where, you know, basically deflecting responsibility and, Gosh. and saying, you know, I'd, I, I could have scored 80 points tonight and it wouldn't have mattered the way we're playing. Like, yeah, the rest of the team isn't playing well. Roy Hibbert, two points. Jordan Clarkson, two of 11 shooting. Nick Young, three of 10. Nobody's claiming that the Lakers are playing well, but none of these guys are also expected to play that well. Uh, and Kobe Bryant is expected to play that well, especially when he's taking the kind of shots that he is taking right now. And then to deflect the blame and basically say, you know, the team is the issue right now, it's not me, I think was the most vintage Kobe uh, that we've seen this season. And, and really, we haven't seen much vintage Kobe on the court I was talking to a friend that I was with at Wando's last night about this and just what, you know, looking at other guys from Kobe's era, KG, Tim Duncan, they've gracefully accepted these reduced roles without diminishing their legacy at all. Kevin Garnett is no longer a very good basketball player, but he, three years ago, he accepted, you know what, I'm going to sit back to backs. I'm going to play 20, 25 minutes. I'm going to do what I'm good at, which is mentoring, rebounding and playing defense. Kobe Bryant just refuses to take that Avenue. Like, what nobody, no, nobody's going to disrespect you if you take the route of Kevin Garnett or Paul Pierce, right? And and we still hold those guys in high regard, like right? Paul, exactly. Everyone loves Paul. They're Pierce. held in a hell of a lot higher regard than Kobe is right now. Yeah, no, we're getting to the point where 
it's turning into aggravation. And instead of just being sad, like we're, we're more aggravated at what he's doing. Like he's taking the whole team down with him. What he's doing is helping them get a, a better draft stock for his replacement essentially. And so, I mean, he doesn't practice like he's not involved with the practice, but, and so he shows up to games. Like I can understand not practicing because Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, they do that. Um, Joe Johnson is another guy who just, they, they just can't practice as much, but they don't go out there and just like lose games or at least you know make things completely uncompetitive we're seeing Kobe has attempted more than more than 19 shots four times this season and he hasn't scored more than 24 points he's reached the 20 point plateau one time I just the worst part Nick is that Byron Scott is allowing this to happen I think worse than all like we can understand that an NBA player who's been so competitive throughout his entire life would want to keep playing like he used to but the fact that Byron Scott is allowing it to happen might be even worse um, in terms of where we stand with the situation. I was talking to James Anderson uh, out in the office before we recorded this podcast about that very about that very issue with Byron Scott, and I think he and I both agreed that Byron Scott's basically a pawn here. I think this is a smart tanking year by the Lakers, where they, you know, any anyone realistic and rational in the Lakers organization knew going into the year that they weren't going to be competitive. But they also avoided the way of the 76ers and saying, you know, coming out and blatantly saying, we know we're not going to be good. You know, they they said all the right things. They acquired a guy like Roy Hibbert, who, you know, by no means is a world beater. But that's not that's not a guy you bring on if you're trying to tank necessarily. Or maybe it is, I guess, the way he's playing. But, you know, it's a veteran guy like that, you know, somebody to to kind of fortify that front line. If they were going to roll out Tarek Black as a starting center this year, that would kind of tip, you know, wave the white flag. We're, we're tanking. But, you know, you bring in a guy like Hibbert, you're, you're leaving Kobe Bryant in for long stretches, letting him play his game uh, as he is right now. And it's kind of a un- it, unintentional tanking, I guess. But I think in a lot of ways it is intentional. I think the Lakers knew they weren't going to win this year. And I think they, they – Byron Scott isn't their coach of the future. Kobe Bryant's not their future. I think they're going to – they're basically saying, you know what? We'll let this be Kobe's year. We'll let him kind of go out his own way. We'll let Byron Scott go down with the ship. We'll clean sheets, and you know we'll start over with with a clean slate next year and kind of a kick off a new era of Lakers basketball. And, and the advantage that the Lakers have in these type of situations over a team like the Sixers or you know another middling team like Sacramento, uh, Orlando, whoever it might be, is they don't have to only rely on the draft. Like the 76ers are building through the draft, and that's how they're going to do it because that's how they have to do it. The Lakers can mix in. Uh, draft picks and free agent signings and you know this summer was evidence that maybe they're not the free agent powerhouse that they used to be where they could just go out and grab whoever they wanted but once they're able to reestablish a young core LA is going to be the destination it's always been so if they tank their way to Ben Simmons or Scal Labissiere or whoever it might be to add to this core of Randall Clarkson Russell um, you know even even look to the bench guys like Quertus Lou Williams decent NBA caliber players off the bench you're going to start attracting maybe free agent players. So I think this is kind of an all a calculated season by the Lakers. You know, when, when we look back, it's, you know, I, it was just kind of a, an in-between year, a, a buffer between the old guard of Kobe's, uh, Kobe's era with the Lakers and, and what's going to be the new era and whoever ends up kind of stewarding that for them, whether it's a big pick in the draft or, or a free agent signing this summer or next. Um, but I think Byron Scott's just a pawn in all this. I think they know he's a guy that's going to let Kobe do what Kobe wants. I think Kobe knows that. You know, we've seen Kobe criticize everybody but Byron Scott this season. There's a reason right. for that is because, yep. the, you know, if they hired if they hired a real coach or a good coach, Kobe wouldn't be allowed to do what he's doing. But Byron Scott, uh, you know, his old school mentality, a guy who, you know, kind of was raised around the NBA coaching 
Um, raised isn't the right word, I guess, but he cut his teeth in the NBA as a coach while Kobe was a superstar. I think he's kind of living in the past uh, in some ways. So this is just, it's a messy situation. It's a terrible situation if you're a Lakers fan. Uh, but I think it's just going to kind of be a one-year nightmare when they'll kind of purge everything out after this year and, and kind of start anew. Nick, so here's an interesting way to look at the situation in terms of the tanking that's going on. And maybe we didn't really realize it until this year that the Lakers are tanking. But we've got a core here of D'Angelo Russell, Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance, if you want to throw him in here, and Julius Randle. Now let's compare that to the core of Philadelphia, and you tell me who's better. Um, even though it's obvious that Philadelphia has been tanking, we have Robert Covington, Nerlens Noel, and Jaleel Okafor are, are arguably the only three guys I would say that are the core of, of, of you know, they're rebuilding. Joel Embiid, you can throw him in there as well, but you've got three centers essentially if you want to throw him in there. So we're actually having a situation where the Lakers have been rebuilding over the last few years, been less blanted about it, and I think that their core is actually better than the 76ers. Yep, that's funny you mentioned that. James and I, that's, that's exactly where our conversation ended up steering. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, and I, we both said the same thing. It's like the Lakers whether they're actually trying to tank or not, they've done a better job at it than a team that's been blatantly trying to tank right. for three or four years. So, you know, and part of that is just, you know, bad luck, I guess, if you want to call it with the Embiid situation and, and things like that. But, you know, it's it's just kind of, it's maybe evidence that the Philadelphia situation, when you're only depending on the draft, it's, you got to hit on the picks or it's not going to work. And, you know, you can add Dario Saric into their list of assets. I think they would probably consider him uh, one of the top two or three, uh, but we'll see how he turns out. But, yeah, I mean, this Lakers team is going nowhere fast this season, uh, although I do think once they get rid of Byron Scott this offseason, once Kobe inevitably moves on, then then I think they'll be in, in much better shape. Yeah, most definitely. Real quick, Marcelo Huertas is 32 years old. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah, I didn't realize that until you said his name, and I, and I, thought, I was like, wait, is he young? No, he's old. So that's just another reason why they're just they're actually tanking. Anyways, Nick, anything you want to say about last night's games before we move on to this little trivia challenge I have for you here? No, no, I think, um, you know, Lakers-Warriors Lakers, Lakers Warriors was the big one for me that I wanted to watch, and it, it certainly lived up to the hype, so nothing else that I really need to say there. Uh, yeah, and of course, we're going to talk about the Warriors throughout the entire season into the postseason, probably into the championship, so even though they did break that record, good on them, but the more interesting story that came out of that was Kobe Bryant um, turning into a bad NBA basketball player. All right, Nick, so you've got the questions in front of you, but let me just say them for the listeners out there. Maybe just pause a couple sentence, a couple seconds to let them play along. So who are the three um, top-ranking double-double getters this season? Now, I know— <laughs> That was the weirdest way to possibly phrase that. <laughs> try to phrase that because I actually practice it pre Which three players have the most double-doubles in the league? Damn it. You are you're good at you're good at phrasing words, Nick. What can I say? Uh, I'm so I'm sorry to call out your, your um, I don't know what the right word I'm is. Just, syntax. I'm just so ashamed that I literally tried to think of the best way to say that before we started recording. The old double uh, double getters. Uh, <laughs> uh, so to rephrase that, Nick, who have a who have uh, obtained the most double doubles this season? I'm looking for the top three. Top three. Um let's see. I guess guess number one is, is Rondo on the list? No, Rondo is not on oh, this list. Um, hmm. Blake Griffin? No, Blake Griffin is not on this list either. Westbrook? Westbrook is on this list. He's number two, number two. and he has 10, which makes sense. Okay. Uh, well, I guess who has had a double-double in just about every game? Uh, Hassan Whiteside? 
No, you're missing a big one, but I don't want to put you on the spot because I know how it felt from yesterday. <laughs> um, ah, big one. Let's see. Uh, it's not easy, is it? The bright lights are tough. No, no. I mean, I'd, I'm trying to think of who, who would be that obvious that it would be a big one. Uh, DeAndre? Yeah. De- or, no, not DeAndre. Oh, well, something that starts with a D, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know. Um, who, is the, who is the big one that I'm missing? DeMarcus Cousins? No, not DeMarcus Cousins. He's, he's missed some games. Um, so Andre Drummond is number one. Oh, my God. Literally a big one. Jeez. Yeah, yeah you're the right. Big... The, the bright lights are getting to me. Is, um, is Lillard on the list? Lillard is not on this list. And so um, I'll give you one more guess. And the first two were pretty obvious or somewhat obvious. Um, you know, if, if, if you were really thinking about it, Nick, you could have got it if we were off air. But the third one is really surprising. He has nine. He's a center. And he's all alone in third place so far playing 15 games this season. He has nine double-doubles. I'll give you two guesses before I tell you. Porzingis? Not Porzingis, but I believe he is in the top 10. Hmm, nine game or 15 games. Center. This is a tough one. Jeez, uh, Okafor? No, Zaza Pachulia, baby. Jeez, what? Too, only that was too obvious. Yeah, so Zaza Pachulia has nine double-doubles. Some notables, Carl Anthony Towns is tied for fourth with okay. Cousins, Love, and guess. Jordan. All right. And then Porzingis is tied for eighth with Brooke Lopez, Paul Millsap, and Greg Monroe. But I just, okay. you know, a sneaky pick there with Zaza. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that came out of left field. All right, next question. Which rookie ranks in the top six for free throw percentage so far this season? Uh, is there like a minimum threshold for attempts? Um. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't even know what it would be, but this is a guy who plays often. Okay, so he's attempted enough that it actually matters. Right. Um, hmm. uh, Moody is not a good free throw shooter. He's the only rookie in the top 10. Okay. Let's see. I'm going to go with... At least we're giving more time for the for the people listening to guess. Yeah, I'm this sure is, that's what you're doing. This is tough. I'm trying to think of rookies. There's probably are... people screaming into their radios right now. Yeah, that probably know the Car answer radios a hell of a lot I'm... more quickly than I do. Um, <laughs> but maybe not. This is why. I mean, this is an interesting one. That's why I picked it. It's not yeah, just going to this... be like. Eh. Hmm. Is it D'Angelo Russell? Not D'Angelo Russell. That's a good guess. Uh, he plays in the front court. Plays in the front court. Okay, what conference? Uh, Western Western conference front court rookies I'm trying to think of which ro- rookies are even playing big minutes right now. It's I'm going to guess Trey Lyles doesn't qualify. No, he really hasn't played much at all in Utah. Um, see, I mean, I, I guess kind of by, by default, is it towns? It's Carl Anthony towns. He's shooting 90.7. He's actually sixth Huge. in the league in free throw percentage, which is, I mean, he's up there with Jamal Crawford, Curry, Darren Williams, Courtney Lee, Gallinari, and then it's Carl Anthony Towns is actually ahead of guys like Durant, Lowry, Batum, and Jeff Green. Wow, that's, that's I guess, not super unexpected. I mean, he was an 80, 81, 82% shooter at Kentucky, but, I mean, for a big guy like that to be hovering around 90% is outstanding. 
Yeah, and this is a guy that's attempted six, five, eight, seven attempts in certain right. games this season. So um, just another wrinkle um, to be flattered of with uh, Big Cats there. Right. So, all right, next question. We only got two more of these, Nick, and then we'll just go home for Thanksgiving after this. Fouls per game. Who have committed the most fouls per game? And I'm looking for the top three. I think I'm going to do all right in this one because I did some research on this a few days ago in conjunction with a certain Bucks player, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Number one, three point yep. eight. You sir are correct. Uh, Porzingis. Porzingis is not, and I was oh. expecting to be. He's not even in the top ten. What? He was number one, like, uh, whatever. Uh, this is wrong. Uh, he was number one like a week ago. Uh, let's see, who commits a lot of fouls? Um, is Tony Allen up there? No. This is where it gets interesting. Um, where I was incredibly surprised to see these next two names on there. So. I don't know if if you just want to take one more guess, and I'll let you know because I don't think you're going to get them. They're not they're not traditional foul getters or or people you'd think that are committing a lot of fouls. No, no. Um, let's see. I'm kicking myself for not knowing these. I mean, I'm usually the the RotoWire foul expert. I know we come to you every day for fouls. <laughs> um, let's see. Can we at least narrow it down? Are we looking at guards or forwards? We are looking at basically, uh, I guess it's two, uh, it's it's a tough call, um, a small forward and a shooting guard. Okay. Small forward and a shooting guard. Who's allowing a bunch of free throws? One of them is in Minnesota and the other one is in Utah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to guess Gordon Hayward. No, that's a really good guess for how much time he okay. spends on the court. Alec Burks. Nope, that's another great guess. Jeez. It's not Trey Burke either. Uh, Rodney Hood? Rodney Hood with 3.5 fouls wow. per game, which I was incredibly surprised. Obviously, he's number third he's, or number three. He's <laughs> actually tied. Um, so number two and three are actually tied. Um, there might be there are some decimal points that actually make the second one second. Uh, Minnesota comes off the bench, a guy we talked about yesterday. Bielitsa? Yep, Nemanja Bielitsa. So we got Giannis oh, yeah. at 3.8, Bielitsa at 3.5, Ronnie Hood at 3.5 as well. So those two names, I, I don't know. Are you? I mean, you must be surprised. You would think that maybe I, a front court rookie or something like that would have the most fouls, like Willie Colley Stein. Yeah, well, I know off, off the top of my head that Drummond has led the league the last two years in fouls. So I guess he's number four at okay. 3. Well, I was, I was just going to say, oh, good on him for getting those down, but now he's right back up there. Um, no, I mean, Giannis, he was second in the league in fouls last year. So that's obviously been an issue. Um, yeah, I don't, what, what list are you looking at? I got a completely different, uh, set of guys here when I looked it up on ESPN. Really? Okay. Are you I'm on basketball at the reference? NBA? No, I'm on the NBA app. Oh, well, we'll use, we'll use the NBA. I think they would maybe know better, but, um, uh, not that, not that any of the guys I guessed were up there anyway. Um, anyway. But yeah, my ESPN.com is showing DeMarcus Cousins and Robert Covington at 3.7, Dwight Howard at 3.6, but Bielitsa and Hood are right there at 3.5. Oh no, did this trivia just get turned awry? I think, yeah, I think uh, since I'm doing so well here, I think this maybe uh, I'm going to have to throw this one out. Uh, compromise. Wow. Ouch. The data okay. has been compromised. Hey, you know what? I, I'm a stigler for the truth, so um, <laughs> I apologize for that. But this one I think will be. Uh, this one, nobody really cares if it's true or not, but um, it'll be the last one, Nick. Okay. Who has traveled the most distance per game this season? In miles, I please. think I looked this up earlier in the season, like a couple weeks ago, and like Evan Fournier was number one. Um, I doubt that he still is. Uh, Damian Lillard would be my first guess. 
fantastic guess, but you were right with your first one. Evan Fournier. It is Fournier. With oh, he's, he's still doing it. All right. Yeah. So Lillard has traveled the most total miles with 42.3 this season. CJ McCollum is right there with 41 miles. Get this. Steph Curry is at an even 40 miles ahead of Evan Fournier's 38.4. But given how I'm not little, but the fact that Curry sits out the fourth quarter generally, um, he, you know, you'd think that he would actually probably be the, the most distance traveled. So definitely not slacking off there for Mr. Curry. No, no, certainly not. And is Rondo on that list just because of the minutes that he was seeing for a while? Uh, let me take a look here. Yeah. So in terms of distance traveled total miles, he's fifth. So right behind 37 and he's at 2.5 per game. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So who knows if those are actually right or not? Apparently you were able to disprove me in three seconds. So, <laughs> well, um, I mean, that was, that was, I'm sure that's just differing in, you know, in the NBA.com recording and the ESPN recording, but I don't think you can really find those tracking stats anywhere other than NBA.com. So we'll go with that. Yeah, Gordon Hayward is a guy that I think maybe over the last five years, if you're looking at averages, that he's one of the he's incredibly high up there. I know they've cut that down since the coaching change when he but when he was with Ty Corbin, he was just like a dog running out there like crazy. And then he he kind of broke down at the end of the season or his stats faded and his free throw percentage broke down. But an interesting way to look at the game of basketball is something you don't really hear too often. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Very interesting. I think we should continue this maybe every other podcast trivia challenge. All right, we can certainly do that. Nick, before we get out of here, just want to say thanks to DraftKings. And, of course, you can be a part of the action all season long at DraftKings.com, the official daily fantasy basketball partner of Rotowire. With daily fantasy, of course, you don't need to spend months micromanaging your roster if you don't have that attention span. Go to DraftKings.com now and enter promo code ROTOWIRE or ROTOHOOPS to play for free. Again, that's DraftKings.com, the official partner of Rotowire just another reminder that there will not be a podcast tomorrow with nick and james and there won't be one friday either with ken kreitz and shannon McEwen because of thanksgiving monday will be our next podcast nick what are you going to do this thanksgiving i know you said but what, what are you expecting to do i'm expecting to eat a lot of food i'm expecting to to hang out with a lot of friends that i haven't seen in a while i'm going to be back home in the green bay area i'm uh, going to watch a lot of football on thanksgiving day I'm getting a family picture taken on Friday Ooh, morning. Yes, sir. Are we going to have matching outfits? I don't know. I don't think we are. This is kind of a last minute thing. It's uh, it's kind of an extended family picture. So, you know, my dad's family side, I guess my grandparents want a family picture for, for their Christmas gifts. So okay. the lesson here is just I hope I never get to the point in my life where I'm thrilled to get a picture of someone else as like a big <laughs> Christmas gift. <laughs> Uh, you might eat those words in 50 years, Nick. I think I probably know. will. I think I will. Yeah, I think uh, a couple years ago I took a family portrait and we were all wearing red plaid because my grandpa wears red plaid. And so for Thanksgiving, we all got red plaid T-shirts and took a picture <laughs> after Christmas, after opening our gifts. So uh, I, I think when I'm when I'm a grandfather someday in the distant, distant future, yeah. uh, the only family picture that I would really want is if you know all my, my hypothetical grandkids and... <laughs> And all that are are wearing like vintage NBA jerseys. That would be that would be incredible. See, um, you're already eating your words. Like it only took ten seconds because. Well, I started to think. I'm like, yeah, that'd be a pretty cool picture. But you know, I have a long ways to go. I think before we get to before we get to that scenario. Yeah, you should probably start out with uh, kids first, huh? Yeah, I mean, well, no, but not right now. Don't even don't even say that. All right, we're too young. But for that's that. it. Congrats to Josh. 
Yeah, with that said, congrats to Josh. We love Rotowire babies, and we've got a new one in the family. So congrats to Josh. I'm assuming he will be back Monday with Benny Ricciardi. And, of course, that's the next time you will hear this podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great Thanksgiving, everyone. Ace is a place with the helpful hardware, folks. At Ace, your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores.